everyone, and welcome to the Atlantic Council. Thank you for joining us. I'm Fred Kemp, President and CEO uh, of the Atlantic Council. Um, Madam uh, High Representative, a sellout crowd. Uh, they're bursting out the doors, uh, and I think this underscores uh, both uh, recognition that we face a um, historic moment in history for Europe, for the transatlantic relationship, long before the November elections. Uh, and, um, and that people are eager to hear uh, what report you can give us from your trip thus far and also uh, uh, answer their questions and then my questions uh, as moderator on uh, broader issues in the transatlantic relationship, which we, of course, at the Atlantic Council believe is the cornerstone for all uh, U.S. engagement in the world. At the Atlantic Council, we th like to think of ourselves as the home for Europe and Washington, D.C. Thus, I am honored today to welcome the High Representative of the European Union for Foreign Affairs and Security Policy and Vice President of the European Commission, Federica Mogherini. Uh, Madam High Representative, uh, thank you for coming to your home away from, uh, away from Europe. We had a fascinating discussion last month at the World Economic Forum in Davos, and I think it was apparent to everybody there at that time uh, that we're facing a particularly uh, important time, and thus I'm very interested uh, to hear your comments and enter in discussion with you. I'm also very pleased uh, to welcome Ambassador Kristen Silverberg, who will more formally introduce our European guest. Ambassador Silverberg currently serves as Managing Director of the Institute of International Finance. As the former U.S. Ambassador to the European Union un under George W. Bush, uh, at the end of his term, she brings special insight to this important dialogue. So without further ado, Ambassador Silverborg, the floor is yours. It is a great honor to be here at the Atlantic Council to introduce Federica Mogherini, the High Representative of the European Union for Foreign Affairs and Security Policy and Vice President of the European Commission. As Fred mentioned, Ms. Mogherini is visiting Washington at a time of some tumult and anxiety about the future of the transatlantic relationship, at least in the circles we run in. It will be challenging for even the most determined transatlanticists to prevent our anxieties from overwhelming our aspirations. But I believe that our shared interests and values will prove durable, particularly if we can demonstrate to skeptical voters on both sides of the Atlantic that we can concretely address challenges together. The threat of terrorism, the catastrophe in Syria, the risk that Iran will pursue a patient pathway to a nuclear weapon. Ms. Mogherini addresses these issues with great commitment and skill and seriousness of purpose in her role with the European Union, and we are fortunate to hear from her today. Fred and High Representative, the floor is yours. Yes, that's a lot of people. <laughs> it is a, a lot of people and, uh, and not, a, not a few cameras. Uh, so I, 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 I try need, to behave. I need, not, I need not say we're on the record. Um, so, uh, uh, <laughs> Madam High Representative, you said your mission for this trip tr was to identify common ground. Um, 
uh, we've heard uh, comments uh, from the administration uh, and during the campaign uh, that questions at times the existence of the European Union, but also we at the Atlantic Council have heard quite the opposite as well in our dealings with people within the administration. Um, after your meetings here in Washington, D.C. over the last uh, uh, two days now, and, and, and impressive, seven senators, uh, uh, Secretary of State Rex Tillerson, the National Security Advisor Mike Flynn, uh, and, and others, uh, which I think underscores the importance uh, uh, that the leaders of this administration accord the relationship. But I wasn't in the meetings. And so it would, be, uh, it would be interesting for us to hear what your takeaways were. What did you hear about that was reassuring? What did you hear that leaves uh, questions? Are you returning to Europe uh, changed in any of your views, more optimistic, less so? I'd love to hear your trip report. <laughs> thank you. Well, first of all, uh, thank you for the invitation. And uh, it's really like being home. I was afraid you were going to say uh, my home away from home. And as I'm confused if my home now is Rome or Brussels, uh, that would have been a challenge in itself. But uh, indeed, for me, it is home. And uh, I was just remembering the uh, first time I came to the Atlantic Council, I was uh, still a member of the Italian Parliament uh, in the NATO Parliamentary Assembly. And this was already, uh, back then, my home uh, away from Europe. So uh, it's, it's great to be here. And, and thanks for having me here. Uh, and thanks to all of you for coming. Uh, I, uh, I came here with a certain dose of, uh, um, of optimism already. Uh, so I don't have to change my mind on that. Um, I said I was coming, first of all, to uh, show uh, that on the European side, uh, there is uh, a strong uh, and deep belief in the fact that across the Atlantic, uh, we are friends. Our peoples are friends. Uh, they also do a lot of things together, uh, from trade and investments uh, to foreign policy and security work. Uh, and also to reach out at an early stage uh, with uh, the new uh, administration um, and also with Congress. And, um, and that's why so many meetings uh, on the Hill. Um, because it seems to me that uh, uh, in this moment we need to talk from our European side to the different interlocutors in the US institutions in these days. Uh, and I come back from, from this trip um, with a positive impression. Uh, you were not in the meetings, but I can tell you they were all good, very good. Uh, I don't know what the next tweet will be about, but my meetings were excellent. Uh, so what I'm receiving as a message uh, is uh, first of uh, great attention uh, from my interlocutors in Washington uh, to the work of the European Union and a clear message, we want to continue working together. Uh, and this is the same message I'm bringing here. Uh, so, all good. So, uh, the one uh, name I uh, failed to mention uh, in, in listing your meetings was Jared Kushner, the Special Advisor of the President. Uh, he also is taking on uh, quite a bit of responsibility uh, for the Middle East. Don't expect you to reveal confidences of private conversations. But in these uh, meetings, did you get a feeling of what priorities would be for the administration or any of the individuals you talked to in the EU relationship if you were tiering them? Well, first of all, one of the purposes of these meetings were um, also from my side uh, to make clear which priorities we have in Europe. Uh, and that was, I think, important to do at an early stage because it seems to me that policies 
in Washington in this moment are still in the making, uh, and that we have a space for uh, defining together at an early stage in a very pragmatic manner uh, in which fields uh, we will have a common approach uh, or a common interest uh, or a common priority and in which other fields or files we might have a different approach, uh, different priorities, something can be very important for us and less important here, or on some other issues we might disagree. Uh, I have the impression that before I said all good, uh, meaning all meetings were good and all messages were good, but uh, I would not pretend uh, we do not have different views on some issues. Uh, so, uh, what I can tell you is where European priorities are and where I see where common ground can be found and maybe some other issues where we have different approaches. Uh, I see, first of all, common ground in the um, strong intention to work together. If I have to believe in all the um, messages I've heard during my meetings, that's clear to me. Uh, continue cooperation, strong uh, EUS, EU uh, cooperation and work. Understanding well, I think, um, and I hope I contributed to this understanding in these two days, that the European Union is not an institution, it's 28 member states. Second, uh, some common ground on some of our priorities that are common priorities. The fight against terrorism, Ambassador was mentioning this, um, solving some of the crises we have around us and globally, uh, the situation in the east of Ukraine, uh, Syria, terrorism, not only in the Middle East, but also spreading in some parts of Africa. Uh, we have for sure work that we can do together there. Uh, we have on the European side um, top priorities where we might find some uh, different views across the Atlantic today. Uh, how we face the Middle East peace process, I think there we share the priority, we might have some differences on how we face them. Uh, and as you see I'm very open and, and uh, uh, not hiding any of the difficulties. And we might have uh, some other issues where we see as Europeans uh, we need to put these issues as a priority and maybe here not so much. Climate change, multilateralism, free trade, free and fair trade, and an international global system of trade. Um, maybe some human rights issues. But it's not for me to define the American agenda that I understand is still in the making. Uh, what I can do is to bring the European agenda, uh, put it on the table, and in a very pragmatic, open, uh, constructive, uh, friendly, uh, maybe transactional approach, uh, see where we can work together, where uh, we might have differences, uh, and uh, how we make the most out of uh, this uh, partnership. Um, among the things on which we might have different views, um, there's the global approach to migration and refugees. And again, the list could continue, but I see space for common ground. I see space for common work. Uh, and I understand that many policies are still in the making. I forgot to mention one very important thing on which I found uh, 
some common ground, uh, which is um, uh, the nuclear de deal with Iran, GCPOA. Uh, for me, that was a priority, that is a priority uh, to uh, preserve the deal, uh, have um, a strong US commitment to its full implementation, which means strict, and implementation is either in place or not. Uh, so 100%, uh, and uh, on this I come back with uh, some reassurances. No, I saw you tweet that um, um, earlier. I also tweet. Earlier. Yeah. <laughs> and I also do it myself. <laughs> so even more room for common ground. <laughs> uh, definitely so. Um, the, uh, uh, what Even if I'm considering uh, starting to make my, uh, my team check my tweets before I send them out. <laughs> Well, I, I, I won't comment on, uh, <laughs> on that. The, um, uh, maybe you can talk a little bit about the Iran conversation. Uh, what did you hear there that you found reassuring? Uh, I, I've uh, heard uh, from all my interlocutors uh, the intention to um, make sure that the deal is 100% implemented. This requires um, all parties, uh, which means mainly Iran, on its nuclear commitments, but also the international community uh, to um, fulfill uh, the commitments that are uh, agreed in the agreement, in the deal. And for me, uh, personally, this is a very important thing to do because I still have a special institutional role uh, in chairing the joint commission uh, that um, overviews the implementation of the deal. Uh, that is not a bilateral deal, that is uh, uh, yeah. now belonging to the international community uh, through the UN Security Council resolution that endorses it. And as European, um, it was important for me to pass here the message that I think was clearly understood that it's key for our security, as we are in the same region with Iran, uh, to see the deal implemented as it is now, uh, because one year after uh, the implementation day, we have had four IAEA reports on its full implementation on the nuclear-related commitments uh, of Iran. This is uh, important for Europe. This is essential for Europe. Then there are other issues uh, where um, we share uh, concerns with the US uh, administration and with many others in the world um, that are not related to the nuclear program uh, of uh, Iran, not related to the nuclear agreement. Um, the role of Iran in some regional conflicts, starting from uh, Yemen or Syria, um, support to terrorist activities, uh, the missile defense, the missile uh, tests, uh, and, and things like that. I would add, as European human rights and that penalty, I know this is a different story maybe here, but for us it's really an important point. And as Europeans, we do have our sanctions in place for non-nuclear related uh, issues uh, with Iran. And in some cases, uh, our sanctions are tougher than the American mm -hmm. ones. Um, so we also are concerned about some other things. But what is clear to us as Europeans altogether, and what I also conveyed here in my meetings, is that Europe feels an interest and a responsibility to engage with Iran. Uh, 
especially as long as the nuclear deal is fully implemented on their side, on their nuclear commitments. We will continue to engage with Iran, being it on economic relations, being it in political dialogue, being it in the sectorial uh, dialogues and cooperations we have started. I know this is not the US policy, but this is the, the European policy and this is, will continue. So we have on one side the full implementation of the GCPOA, where I have seen here um, a certain degree of commitment uh, to stick to that. Uh, our common concern on uh, non-nuclear related issues uh, on the role of Iran and uh, where we have different policies, but that was the case also with the previous administration, the European way has always been the case with Iran, is one of engagement. And that will continue. And I think it's very important that Iranians, the Iranian citizens, hear this from Europe in these days. Thank you for that. Um, uh, on Russia, um, we've heard different uh, statements at different times from the administration, from the president. Administration most recently signaled that U.S. sanctions against Russia would remain in place. Uh, on the other hand, there seems to be a desire to significantly improve the relationship with Russia. Um, to the extent you can, how did this uh, tell us? How did this come up in your uh, uh, in your conversations? And, and where do you see potential? Uh, commonalities and differences on the issue of uh, Russia, and particularly Ukraine. You know, if I can, it's, it's quite weird. Um, if I can just have a reflection, thinking loud. Uh, it's the first time I come to Washington, and uh, uh, rather than being questioned on uh, the EU positions on Russia or Syria or whatever, I'm questioned about the US positions. Uh, it's okay. Yes, could you, could, could you it's please, okay. Could you try my best. Could you please tell us what the US position is? <laughs> I'm not sure I can. <laughs> no, on some things I do. Uh, I'm not sure it's appropriate for me to be the spokesperson. <laughs> um, but uh, that's an interesting uh, that, that's an interesting experience. Um, it's also the first time that uh, that main focus of uh, my visit to Washington is bilateral relations rather than some of the crises we have around us. Um, and this is telling us the new era we are we are entering in. Um, on Russia, uh, first of all, um, for Europeans, um, it's clear we have a two-track uh, policy with Russia. Uh, there are files on which we work very well with Russia. Uh, the Iran deal was a perfect example of that. Um, the Middle East peace process, um, Israel-Palestine uh, is another example where uh, the Europeans and the Russians um, work well together within the Quartet. We have similar views. Uh, other issues where we work, uh, uh, where we work uh, a lot and well uh, together. So uh, this perception that uh, Europe doesn't talk to Russia is, uh, uh, is a misperception. And by the way, um, a couple of years ago, I would have been asked uh, if we were not talking too much yeah. to the Russians. So things change in an interesting manner. Uh, we have a strong uh, policy uh, and principled policy uh, when it comes to Ukraine. Uh, this is very serious to us, uh, not only for the situation in the east of Ukraine itself and in Crimea, uh, but also because for us Europeans it's essential to understand um, each other, 
especially across the Atlantic, on the basic vital principle that you do not change borders by force. And this for us is uh, a must of our cooperation. Uh, across the Atlantic, this has never been um, uh, put into question. Uh, and I believe this is related not only to the principles of international law, which is, uh, but also it's a matter of security for Europe. Uh, and I believe that many of my um, European fellow citizens uh, in the east of our continent uh, are um, potentially a bit nervous about uh, question marks that could be uh, put here on, on this approach. Uh, also on this, my meetings were, uh, were positive uh, and uh, in particular we, we agreed that uh, as long as the MISC um, agreements are not fully implemented, sanctions will remain in place. Um, but I don't know if this is uh, going to be the consolidated policy um, and as you were not in my meetings, I was not in uh, the mm. Oval Office when President Trump called President Putin. Um, mm. But uh, for us, this is an essential uh, point. Uh, and uh, I believe that uh, this is not an essential point only for Europeans. Uh, I think that in Congress, uh, this is an essential point as well. And uh, if there is a thaw of some sort, uh, in relationships between U.S. and Russia, which is a possibility even if sanctions should remain in place. Do you foresee the EU members will have the resolve to stay firm on sanctions under the current set of circumstances where Minsk hasn't been implemented and Crimea is still occupied? I think uh, Europeans will continue to be united on that. Uh, I don't know if Americans will be united on that, uh, but Europeans will. For us, I, I want to be clear also on this, uh, for us, uh, the, the sanctions are not a policy in itself. Uh, it's not uh, something we take particular pleasure in, in having. Uh, for us, it's an instrument uh, to put pressure uh, and achieve the result. And for us, the result is not keeping the sanctions. For us, the result is solving the conflict in Ukraine. So we also discussed, um, especially with um, Secretary Tillerson, how we can uh, better support or help the full implementation of the MISC agreements. And this is perfectly fine because the real objective is this, to achieve peace in East of Ukraine, uh, respect of international law, uh, and also in Crimea. Um, so again, the European position is clear on this. I'm confident it will continue to be clear in unity uh, because all those that um, over years uh, have um, um, bet on uh, uh, Europeans to divide themselves on this have been uh, wrong, and I think this will continue to be the case. But I cannot answer uh, for, um, for the US. Um, I can say I was receiving reassuring messages, uh, but I don't know if there will be divisions uh, in the US on this. I hope not. Thank you for that. Um, I'm going to ask one or two more questions and then go to the audience. Uh, you've said that the EU is ready for a transactional way of working in the United States, your words in the past and, and also today. Um, uh, I guess at the Atlantic Council, the notion of a, a transactional relationship for the transatlantic partners uh, would seem a step backwards. Uh, so do you think that this is sufficient 
uh, and what do you mean when you say a transactional way of working with the United States? You know, I have the feeling that this is a moment in history where uh, we have to, uh, where we're called to uh, avoid giving it for granted uh, that people understand the added value of our friendship, which is sad, I agree. Um, I prefer to have a, a partnership, a friendship based on this automatic reflect we've had in the last years of uh, turning to each other uh, and agreeing things to do naturally. Um, but if there is the need to recall the need uh, for a friendship to be in place, the added value of the European Union to America, uh, then we're ready to do so. Uh, and I will just mention a couple of uh, very basic uh, things that here in the Atlantic Council I think are quite uh, uh, self-evident, but maybe we need to stress them again. One is the economic uh, relation we have. 80% of uh, foreign investment in the US come from Europe, come from the European Union. 80%, not 18, 80. And I think we're bringing a couple of million more jobs in America with European investments. And I think you can not find uh, many uh, states in the United States that are not having 300, 400,000 jobs created in Europe from Europe in America. Is this a transactional way of putting things? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But we need each other. And it's not Europe that needs America only. It's America that needs Europe. And we better recognize that to have um, a serious conversation. The other thing is security. And uh, even if Europe, the European Union is not NATO, uh, and we do not, um, we, we cannot make the two organizations overlap, there is a big uh, elephant in the room uh, that is uh, the investment in our common security. And in Europe, we've, we've started well before the November elections last summer to work very seriously on strengthening the European defense within the European Union. And to me, it was very strange because I spent um, months from uh, July to October, November even, reassuring Washington and the other side of Brussels, which means NATO headquarters, that this was not to undermine NATO, not in competition with NATO, but to strengthen NATO. And now I'm passing these other months uh, explaining that it's good to strengthen NATO, and this is the, going to be the European way. When I, I put this in the transactional box, because uh, you know that perfectly well, Article 5 was invoked only once, and that was after 9-11, and Europeans have carried a burden uh, for our common um, commitment to security in the world, through NATO, but also through other means. The European Union is a security provider, is also a hard power, even if this is not perceived uh, too much here. We have 16 uh, military uh, missions and operations in the world. We are training uh, military forces in parts of Africa where the terrorist threat is serious and present. Uh, we are uh, operating off the co coast of uh, Horn of Africa against piracy that has basically disappeared from the region. 
we are in the Mediterranean Sea uh, dismantling the business uh, uh, of uh, smugglers and traffickers of people, but also saving lives. Uh, we are also a military power. And if, if people are serious on the need to have European member states investing not only more, but also better on defense, this can be done with the support of the European Union. I give you an example. Uh, I think I mentioned that to you in, in, in Davos a couple of weeks ago. Uh, in Europe, we invest 50% of what is invested in America for defense. But the output on our, of our European investments on defense is 15%. Why? Because we are not working together uh, at the economy of scale that is needed. So here comes the added value of the European Union. We are proposing plans and funds to incentivize member states of the European Union to work together in cooperation on developing capabilities, investing in research and innovation, strengthening their defense. This can happen with the support of the European Union. Without that, single member states will continue to invest in a very fragmented manner and the burden sharing of our common security across the Atlantic will continue to be as it is. So, Two examples of how transactional we can be. So not just getting the NATO target of 2% for all the NATO members, but actually spending the money better uh, uh, via, via EU uh, uh, plans. Um, one uh, last question for me, and then I'll turn to, to the audience. Uh, you were talking about Europe needing the US, US needing Europe. Uh, the impression from here and also among many of my European friends there, is that the EU is facing existential, potentially existential challenges. You have Brexit, uh, you have challenges from the East, challenges from the South, centrifugal political challenges, and then the elections this year, France, Holland, um, uh, Germany, and so on. How do you view the state of Europe from that standpoint? What, how, how serious do you think these, these challenges are? And even more importantly, what is uh, uh, the U.S. contribution or what could the, uh, the U.S. contribution or Trump administration contribution be at this, at this point in this, in this scenario? For good or for bad? Go both <laughs> ways. No, let's look, let's, look at a, let's look at a worst case scenario, best case scenario. You know, I will surprise you. Um, I think the state of our union uh, is strong and good. Mm. Uh, I have recently said uh, that uh, the European Union and Europe in general is a little bit like uh, a 16 years old uh, beautiful girl that looks at herself in the mirror and finds herself ugly and uh, life is awful and uh, everything is going wrong. Uh, while we're turning 60 this year, mm. uh, we're going to celebrate the 16th anniversary of the Treaty of Rome in the end of March. Mm. The previous U.S. administration uh, used to tell us very often that uh, Europe should believe in itself as much as America believed in Europe. And I think this sentence is uh, worth uh, keeping in our memory very strongly, uh, at least in Europe, uh, because we are uh, much more powerful, much stronger than sometimes we perceive ourselves uh, to be. And, you know, you speak about a European existential crisis. Take Brexit. Mm. Eight months after the referendum, the UK has not even formally notified their willingness to start negotiations. So 
So for sure the decision is taken, but they don't seem particularly in a hurry uh, to uh, get out. Uh, I think this is telling a lot. And by the way, I take this chance to stress the fact that uh, negotiation, so not only the UK is still a member state, uh, but it will continue to be the case for another couple of years minimum. So this has to be taken into consideration because I chair uh, three formations of the European Council, foreign ministers, defense ministers, development ministers. We're still 28 around the table and we will continue to be 28 around the table. So not only I do not see others following, but at the moment I have still 28 foreign ministers to deal with. Uh, and we still take decisions by consensus. And an important thing to stress, not because we are a prison, but because member states see this as their own interest, as long as you're a member state, trade agreements are negotiated by the European Union. Not one single member state, including the UK for at least a couple of years to go, can negotiate bilateral trade agreements with third parties. I think this is important to state here as I understand our British friends uh, did also publicly. I don't know if pub privately, but mm -hmm. for sure uh, it's the case. Uh, this is continuing to be the case. Yeah. So in the transactional uh, approach, there's also um, the trade um, part uh, of the relevance of the European Union being the first market in the world, also for American goods, and the second economic power for GDP in the world. There's a bit of a discussion on which one is the first, but <laughs> I leave it to, the, to you. And the U.S. contribution, worst case, what you would hope, uh, but, sorry, best case and worst case. I only have one case mm -hmm. because we would not accept, yeah, no, <laughs> sorry, but uh, yeah. uh, no interference, no interference. We do not interfere on U.S. domestic politics. And there's plenty of U.S. domestic politics these days. It's not for me to comment on that. Yeah. Not on political decisions, not on decisions of the court. That's for the U.S. It's democracy. It's a great democracy, strong institutions, strong people, great people. It's not for me or for any other European to comment on domestic political choices or decisions in the U.S. The same goes with Europe. No interference. By the way, we don't see elections as a major challenge. Elections are part of our democratic life, and Europeans can take their own political decisions wisely. I have full confidence uh, in the European democracies. Uh, and I have the impression that there's quite enough here to do, um, and maybe the free time to dedicate to European politics is not that much. Um, maybe America first means also that you have to deal with America first. <laughs> Uh, so uh, th that seems a little bit of a minimalist approach if you think of America's role in the post-World War II history of Europe. But you would be satisfied with that, uh, let Europe go forward the way it will go forward. Uh, you don't really need uh, no, American I'm, I'm, assistance I'm saying, and help at this I'm point. saying no interference because yeah. uh, I'm, I'm hearing and seeing messages from mm -hmm. time to time not in my meetings here, yeah. and this reassures me very, very much. Yeah. But I'm hearing um, rumors around, mm. uh, or, or seeing people around, mm. um, inviting Europeans to do one thing or the other, inviting mm. member states to do one thing or the other. And I think we have 
to make clear uh, that there's a certain European pride. We are grateful to America. Uh, I'm Italian. And I stop here. <laughs> it's clear, <laughs> no? It's yeah, clear. Yeah. Uh, it's clear. Uh, we've built our freedom, our democracies, our economies together. Mm -hmm. uh, but we're grown up. Mm. Uh, we're turning 60 this year as a union. We are a global power. We are responsible for ourselves. I wish we could have a friendship that continues to be a natural friendship in which we can help each other strengthen our economies, our democracies. Democracy is always in the making. It's never perfect. Um, that's the best case scenario. That's clear. Um, we've never had uh, such a strong and, uh, and fruitful transatlantic partnership as we've had in this two years and a half I've been in office. Uh, that has been ideal. Uh, for me and for us all Europeans, this can continue and we would be perfectly happy with that. But as I hear mm -hmm. sometimes voices saying, you know, the European Union is not necessarily a good uh, idea, um, inviting to uh, dismantle what we have managed to build and that has brought us not only peace, but also economic um, yep. strength. Uh, and uh, I, mean, I, I hear it's, you. It's as, not, as, as, with okay, the, so, as with the physician, you start by doing no harm. <laughs> so yes. <laughs> Um, yes, then if we can, if, if we can do much yeah. better than this, yeah. I'm only happy because Excellent. this is the way in which we worked in these last two years and a half. Excellent. Uh, For quest me, questions. I, I see Four one more. here and then, then here, so please. Thank you, Madam High Representative. I'm Ali Dodd-Mafinez. I'm of the West Asia Council here in Washington. My question has to do with whether, in engaging your American interlocutors, had a chance to discuss issues of migration, diversity, and pluralism uh, across the Atlantic. Thank you. you, you and did, including you, refugees. You did hint in your opening comments that there may be differences of opinion on migration and refugees. Yeah. Uh, again. I would not, uh, it's not for me to, to comment on decisions that are taken here, uh, and especially in a moment when we see that there is some institutional um, divergence uh, around them. Um, I do not comment on, um, on court decisions or um, uh, in my own country, imagine here. <laughs> uh, that's a good rule for any politician, I believe. Uh, so. It's for the United States to find their own way on, on how to manage migration. Uh, what I can say is the European way, and we struggled quite a lot to find our own way, uh, because last year, the year before, was quite a painful uh, experience. And again, being uh, an Italian, uh, I've been uh, struggling for years uh, when I was in my own country uh, to have a common European response to a challenge that was seen in the previous years only as a national one. But finally, we got, as Europeans in the European Union, uh, to a common approach that is based on partnership and cooperation with countries of origin and transit, uh, work to dismantle the criminal organizations, uh, saving lives at sea and in the desert, that is the main place where people are dying in our route, uh, investing in local development uh, of communities from where the flows start, um, protecting people's lives, human rights, respect for the dignity of human beings, whoever they are, 
wherever they are and whatever background they have. This is the European way. We struggled a lot to get there, yes indeed. Is it still sometimes controversial within the European uh, public scene? Yes, it is. But this is the common policy we're putting in place. And this is starting to get uh, us some results. We think there is no way in which you can feed the illusion that migration can be stopped. Migration can be managed and has to be managed. And between, between the illusion of stopping flow of people with walls and saying that everybody can come, there is a reasonable, sensible, respectful manner to manage rationally. And this is our way. This is the European way. And this is, by the way, the way that the international community agreed uh, in New York uh, when we decided together, all together, to establish global compacts for refugees and migration. And we are committed to that partnership with the IOM, UNHCR, UN system, uh, and a special focus to the respect of human rights of people. Uh, the history of Europe is also um, such that you know, we tend to be uh, quite um, sensitive when it comes to walls, uh, and the symbolism of that is, uh, is strong. Uh, we tend to celebrate when um, walls come down. Uh, and we are uh, quite uh, skeptical, uh, to say so, um, when it comes to the idea that walls can stop people or things. They empower smugglers, normally. Uh, and uh, they close you in an uncircled area. Maybe that's because Europe uh, has always been a continent of uh, emigration. How many Italians you know that have uh, uh, key roles here in the United States? Um, I guess the mayor of the city uh, of the president, uh, and not only the current one, also a few others, uh, from Giuliani to uh, others. America has always been great because it has been made up of many people coming from different places. Europe doesn't have that tradition. Um, but we know what it means to move around because you're going out of a place because of war or because you're simply looking for a better place. So again, this doesn't mean that open borders, everybody can come, not at all, but it means that there is a rational, humane way of, uh, of managing this. And by the way, sorry, I've been long, but um, that's it's quite an, an issue. It's an important answer. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know for America, um, but I guess for sure for Europe, uh, if we were to um, imagine that tomorrow all migrants disappear from uh, our countries, our economies would collapse immediately. So the cost of no migration for our economies and not only for our societies would be big. Again, this doesn't mean it doesn't have to be managed, it has to be managed uh, in a sustainable manner, uh, but um, I guess we have a different uh, approach. I raise this, uh, um, not to say you're wrong, to say we're doing it in a different manner. Thank, thank you for that. Turn to the ambassador, if you can introduce yourself. Also, since you were speaking of Italian-Americans, or Italians, uh, he's sitting next to our prominent board member, Franco Nuschese.
the two most dynamic places in Washington are the Atlantic Council and Cafe Milano. So, <laughs> Mr. Ambassador. Indeed, actually. You have a strong competition there. <laughs> now, on behalf of the government of Azerbaijan, I'm happy to endorse the Cafe Milano. It's a great place. I'm Ambassador of Azerbaijan. Good to see you, uh, Madam High Commissioner. Uh, I know you just met with President Aliyev in, yes. uh, in Brussels. It was a successful visit. Uh, when you spoke about common priorities, you did not mention energy security. I wanted to ask you whether during your uh, meetings in Washington you mentioned the Southern Corridor and related issues, Southern Gas Corridor. And also, I, I'm very happy to hear that you said that uh, your strong statement that borders should not, change by should not be changed by force. I hope it equally applies to the borders of my country, the Republic of Azerbaijan. And, Thank and, you. And I'll add North Stream to your question as well. <laughs> uh, we, uh, the issue of energy uh, security, which is a very relevant issue for, for Europe, uh, diversification of, uh, of our sources and routes are um, part of our security uh, strategy, um, was not central to my, uh, in my talks uh, here. Uh, this doesn't mean that it will not be, uh, and I had uh, an excellent uh, opportunity on Monday meeting with your president to uh, restate our strong uh, support to the South uh, Gas Corridor, uh, and that will continue to be the case. By the way, I think that uh, you're hosting in the coming week uh, the, um, the meeting where last year I was uh, present together with uh, my interlocutor here in the United States. Uh, to show our common support to the project. On the European side, this is going to continue. Thank you. Thank you. Please, right here. Hi, my name is Kira Kostrezin. I'm from the Albanian service of Voice of America. So I'll bring you back to, the, <laughs> to your region now. I have a question about the justice reform, um, the judiciary reform in Albania. Um, the EU and the United States have been invested really heavily in having this reform uh, approved in the country. But already there have been um, you know, concerns expressed by both representatives about um, issues with implementing the reform or sort of um, some efforts to, deter, uh, to deter the reform. Are you concerned about this and how do you see uh, the future of implementation? And um, if possible, you talked about a plate full of opportunities between the U.S. Um, and the EU to work together on international issues. With the um, U.S. adopting a stand of America first and this full plate, will the Balkans get the short shrift? And you know, you know how important the cooperation, uh, trans uh, transatlantic cooperation has been for the region. Thank you. Grazie. Grazie. Uh, this means I'm replying in Italian? No. <laughs> no, 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 no. I know. Grazie, ma no. Proverò con l'inglese. First, on the judicial reform uh, in, in Albania. Uh, I had the honor uh, to address the Albanian parliament uh, just on the eve of the uh, unanimous vote uh, on the judicial reform. And I think that was really an historic step for the country. Obviously for us, what is important is that now the same unity and the same determination is shown on the implementation of the reform. And I'm confident that the country can find this uh, strength in the institutions to do that, because I know how much Albanians attach importance uh, to uh, this reform. And I think this is also key, 
not only I think, we all think this is also key to move forward uh, on the European Union uh, path, uh, European Union integration path for the country. Uh, that is an open uh, path. Uh, you know that there's an open door. Uh, and uh, I really hope that this, uh, this will uh, manage to be built uh, in a sense of uh, national unity, if I can say so. I know this is not the favorite sport in Albania, uh, but I think that when it comes to the interests of uh, the citizens, uh, this is a must. Um, on the Western Balkans, this was part of uh, uh, many of my conversations here in Washington. Um, to pass the message, indeed, that uh, uh, for us in the European Union, uh, the work with the Western Balkans is key, is priority. Uh, also because uh, sometimes we refer to this region as uh, on its way to Europe. We don't realize it's Europe. It's the heart of Europe. Uh, and uh, for us in the European Union, the um, regional cooperation and the fact that every single country moves towards its reform path and finally uh, integration in the European Union is essential. And the message I passed here is that for that to happen, we need continuous engagement from the region. And I see that engagement with all the difficulties. Um, I see that engagement. Continuous uh, strong focus from the European Union side, and you can count on me personally and on the leadership in the European Union to make sure that this happens and continues to happen. And also on a clear vision in Washington to continue to be focused on the Western Balkans in a constructive manner. Um, and I hope the message was heard. So a woman way in the back. Uh, yes, with your hand up there. I've been trying to catch people as I saw them. And then let, let me pick up just... Do you uh, want to pick a uh, couple of know, them together? You know, we're, we're almost to the end of time. So let me pick up one here and one here. And we'll take okay. two questions. Good. Uh, thank you, Helga Flores Trejo, Latino Victory Project. Uh, High Representative, when Chancellor Merkel congratulated President Trump, she offered cooperation on the basis of values, um, democracy, rule of law, etc. Now, hearing your comments here today, I hear a more as you put it, transactional approach? Is it fair to say that there's a, a, di a, a difference, let's say, in degree, or what would be the, the balance uh, between values, transactional approach? And let me uh, pick up uh, one up here, too, please. Oh, uh, okay, go ahead. Uh, uh, thank you. Who, 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 grabs, uh, who grabs microphones uh, proactively <laughs> is rewarded, so not, not uh, consistently. Uh, Ms. Mogherini, thank you for your leadership on the JCPOA. Uh, I'm Daryl Kimball with the Arms Control Association. It was reassuring to hear you say that you're confident that there's a commitment to the implementation of the agreement. But um, as we approach some key deadlines, um, uh, sanctions waiver uh, dates, uh, are you concerned that Congress may uh, initiate actions that Iran might interpret to be uh, violations of the JCPOA, in other words, sanctions that might have the same effect as some of the old nuclear-related sanctions. Are you confident that uh, the, the deal will be able to navigate through this uh, period over the next uh, two or three months? The most frequent question I get is if I'm concerned of something. Uh, there's plenty <laughs> of reasons to be concerned. Uh, we're not leaving easy times and uh, in an easy world. Uh, what I can tell you is that uh, 
the European Union, which means all Europeans, uh, and me personally with my special role on, on the GCPOA implementation, we will monitor carefully uh, and in a very strict manner uh, the uh, implementation of the deal in its entirety uh, from all sides. Uh, and that it is a clear European interest, shared interest, to preserve the agreement and its implementation. Um, I don't know if, again, confidence and, and optimism is a category of uh, foreign policy. I tend to believe not. But I can tell you the determination we have to make sure that the deal is preserved and fully implemented and strictly implemented by all in all parts. And on, uh, on the previous question, um, I can tell you one thing that is 100% clear, there is no uh, distinction, not even different shadows in the European uh, attitude towards the United States. And I know that uh, not because I read it somewhere, but because just exactly one week ago, last Friday, I was in Malta uh, for the summit with all the heads of state and government of the European Union. Um, that was just, uh, um, including Theresa May, that was just back from, from Washington and she shared with us her assessment of her visit and we had a conversation with not only um, Chancellor Merkel, President Hollande, all of the 28 um, on uh, our approach uh, to um, the transatlantic partnership and the US. And so what I described as, uh, I don't like the, the word, transactional too much, but I, I guess that was used for the first time yeah. here. Um, I, I would talk about a pragmatic approach uh, that is based on uh, values, our values, uh, that we assume are common values, but uh, again, we are in a moment when we can state what uh, things are for ourselves. Um, so values and European uh, values and European interests um, with a sense of friendship, uh, but also with a clear sense of priorities when it comes to uh, making clear uh, that some European values and interests are not, uh, um, are not uh, under discussion. Um, so it's friendship, doesn't change. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here. Um, and I wouldn't be uh, looking forward to welcoming Pre Vice President Pence uh, next 10 days from now in Brussels for his official visit to the EU institutions. So friendship, cooperation, on the basis of our values, on the basis of our interests, uh, but also with clear uh, ideas on uh, what cannot be um, into doubt uh, when it comes to uh, some of our priorities. Thank you. Uh, Madam High Representative, we know you have to go now to a, a, another meeting. I'd ask as I thank you for people to stay in their seats so that you can uh, get to the meeting uh, as uh, uh, expeditiously as possible. Let me just say a couple of things in closing. First of all, this is an important time uh, for you to be in the United States. We hope you'll come 
frequently? I'll come next month. So. Uh, great. Uh, the, uh, any time you're here, whenever the Atlantic Council will be of assistance, we'd be love to do it, but your voice is, is, is an important one. And in my lifetime, I'm not sure the transatlantic relationship has played uh, as important a role for the future as, as it does, or any more important role for the future as it does now. So on behalf of the audience and everybody listening to us online and elsewhere, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you so yeah. much for this very uh, timely trip to the United thank States. Thank you. Thank you.